coups, rebellions, marches on Moscow. Well, until they weren't. This episode, who are the Wagner group who briefly threatened the Russian capital and have made Vladimir Putin look like he's not so secure after all? Let me explain. Let me explain with Sean Defoe, a News Talk original. Hello and welcome to the show. Don't forget to like, subscribe and share and check out some of the other News Talk original podcasts which are available on the News Talk app. I'd highly recommend Inside the Crime in particular. And Frank Rainey could get a whole season of Inside the Crime out of the people we are talking about today. It seemed to come out of nowhere at the weekend that suddenly, after almost a year and a half of war in Ukraine, forces were on the march to Moscow. There was talks of Vladimir Putin being deposed and potential fighting in the streets of the Russian capital. And then poof, almost as quickly as it began, it was over. And the potential rebels had been exiled to Belarus. But who are the Wagner Group, these Russian heavies who until recently had been fighting in Ukraine and their leader, Yevgeny Prigozhin? The history of the Wagner Group is a bloody one, if not a particularly long one. The first mentions we get of this group under any sort of name was around a decade ago and around the Russian annexation of Crimea from Ukraine, basically set up as a plausible deniability force for Russia. Mercenaries, in other words. They've been used in warfare all throughout history. Go back to the Romans. They used to bring in local fighters most of the places they went and plenty of other examples down throughout history. And this group, initially not called the Wagner Group, was basically to be a puppet of Russia that could intervene in areas as an armed force with plausible deniability for Vladimir Putin and Moscow. But they are much more wide-reaching than you might initially assume. And this isn't some small force just intervening in Ukraine. Duncan Bullivant is an international risk management advisor. He's given advice to the head of the peacekeeping mission in Bosnia, for example. And he says, really, we should be thinking of Wagner as an international group. The, the origins of, of the group really go back to the, I suppose, 2012, 2014, that sort of, that sort of era. The, there was a, a the Russian special forces, uh, the, 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 the core group of, of, of very significantly well-trained Spetsnaz troops, uh, many of whom were veterans of, of, of Russia's wars, certainly uh, Afghanistan, under the control of a, of a colonel called Dmitry Utkin, um, were formed as a deniable force. They, 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 were, they were put together as a, as a group that would be not part of the state, but could be used by the state, as has happened in many other parts of the world, but with other countries. So this was the core team. What then, what then proceeded to happen is that Vladimir Putin's sort of pet thug, um, Yevgeny Prigozhin, took these guys and said, hang on, we can, we can do something here. And as Russia was starting to assert itself on the world stage in terms of, you know, in, in Putin's mind, to try and reassert the glory of Russia, they started getting involved in conflicts. And, and, if, and if I was to tell you that they've been involved right from the beginning in Ukraine, then in Syria, then in Libya, then in Sudan, then the Central Afri African Republic, Mozambique and Mali, that would be the shorter list. They're, they are fairly well established, particularly in Africa. Where did their money come from? <clears throat> Originally, they were given co catering contracts, big catering contracts and other 
state level contracts as part of the general um, thievery that goes on within within the Russian um, regime. And I think it's fair to say that ideas then started floating around that they needed access to raw materials. So, for example, if you go to the Central African Republic today, you will find that the regime there is propped up by um, Wagner mercenaries. The Wagner have got access to their own gold su supplies, uh, diamond supplies, wood, hardwoods. Uh, it is estimated that they may have taken as much as a billion dollars worth of hardwood out of the Central African Republic. Uh, they've also got interests in, in mining operations in Mali. They, they had, their, they had their, their hats given back to them in Mozambique and were, and were, were drummed out. Uh, by the by, the the uh, the rebels there. The, the the real worry with these guys now is that they're self-funding. It's a bit like when we talk about artificial in intelligence becoming self-aware. Even if Russia cuts off the funding now for for Wagner, they're sort of doing their own thing, and it's a bit like a sort of it's a bit like a mafia organization. Those catering contracts largely given by Vladimir Putin to Yevgeny Prigozhin, who earns the nickname Putin's chef. Such is the access this guy had that there are photos of him looming behind George W. Bush while a meal is being served and in the background of a dinner they catered attended by the now King Charles back in 2003. But in more recent years, he's become a military leader. Here's Duncan Bullivant again. Over the last 10 years or so, and you've got to cast your mind back to 2014, and you may recall people talking about little green men being involved in the, uh, the annexation uh, and eventual seizure of the Crimea. Th these were the Wagner group, uh, although they weren't necessarily under the control of uh, Prigozhin at this point. They were, they were very much an extension of the, the Russian intelligence services. But he took this group forward and has built them up now as what the Americans would call a transnational criminal organization with business interests all over Africa. They've, they're, they're heavily involved, obviously, in the Ukraine conflict, but they have got too big for their boots. And they're now, they're now challenging the state. Putin has been trying to clip their wings. The army have been trying to clip their wings. And this is effectively the reaction to it. Don't look at this as... As a, as a normal state issue. This is basically gangsters fighting for turf. And it would appear that uh, Prigozhin was brought under control or back under the leash uh, by direct threats to his family and also his, his assets. The Russians have started to, to seize some of his assets. Different associations, I suppose, where the name Wagner Group came from. I've read that it was the call sign of Prigozhin when he served earlier in his career. I've also heard uh, it's because Hitler's favourite composer was Wagner. And speaking to the international reach of this group, US National Security Council spokesman John Kirby, well, he put them on a watch list. Department of Treasury will be designating Wagner as a significant transnational criminal organisation under Executive Order 13581 as amended. In coordination with this designation, we will also impose additional sanctions next week against Wagner and its support network across multiple continents. Now, as his military continues to struggle in Ukraine, President Putin is increasingly turning to Wagner 
which is owned by Yevgeny Prigozhin, for military support. We continue to assess that Wagner currently has approximately 50,000 personnel deployed to Ukraine, including 10,000 contractors and 40,000 convicts. Our information indicates the Russian Defense Ministry has reservations about Wagner's recruitment methods. Despite this, we assess that it is likely that Wagner will continue to recruit right out of Russian prisons. Nor is the Wagner Group limited to criminal activities in Africa or the war in Ukraine. They've also been involved in the pro-government side in Syria, another conflict causing major international migration, and they're implicated in warfare of a different kind. Bergozin also founded a fairly infamous Russian troll farm, which allegedly has hundreds if not thousands of trolls spreading online disinformation. It's actually called the IRA. No, not that IRA, the International Research Agency, and it's big enough for the US to slap sanctions on his company for interfering in the 2016 election that saw Donald Trump made US president. The company of Yevgeny Prigozhin, he's a Russian oligarch dubbed chef to President Putin by the Russian press, financed a Russian troll factory that used social media to spread fake news during the 2016 U.S. presidential campaign. This, according to multiple multiple officials briefed on the investigation. Prigozhin, who has an enormous catering business, among other companies, is one of the Kremlin's inner circle. Putin turned to him to cater his birthday parties, as well as dinners with visiting leaders, including President George W. Bush. His company is believed to be a main backer of the St. Petersburg-based Internet Research Agency, otherwise known as IRA, a secretive technology firm that created and distributed both fake news and divisive stories and posts. In addition, Prigozhin was sanctioned by the U.S. Treasury Department in December of 2016 for providing financial support for Russia's military occupation of Ukraine. And of his companies, including his catering business, they were also sanctioned by Treasury Here's analysis from the former U.S. Director of Cybersecurity, Christopher Krebs, appearing on CNN. He told the Telegram, uh, he told Telegram, quote, Gentlemen, we interfered, we interfere, and we will interfere. Um, What did you make of the comments, and are you confident in in the security of tomorrow's election? So this in and of itself is an information operation. This is disinformation, what Prigozhin is doing. So this is Putin's chef. He runs the notorious St. Petersburg troll farm, the Internet Research Agency. They were behind a lot of the disinformation operations in the 2016 election. They've been quite active since, and, and there's been some disruptions. But this is just an opportunity for him to get out there and continue to stoke chaos. This is manufactured operational chaos for these guys. Over the weekend, there were some reports that this group, the IRA, was back at it, that was targeting some Democratic Senate races and trying to undermine confidence in the U.S. support to Ukraine. Uh, I'd also probably point out that he may be trying to remind the Kremlin as they're going through some problems in Ukraine that that he's been a loyal servant to right. you know, the inner group and and don't forget that and give him some support. And remember, he's part. he leads the Wagner group, too. Wagner group, yeah, these yeah. mercenaries. So all in all, Vergozin, not a great guy, operating in a circle of also not so great guys. I mean, Prigozhin is a fascist, under no illusion. He's not an he's not anti-Putin because he he wants the war to come to an end. He he's 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 pro Wagner. It is quite likely within his mindset that he would like to have seen the regime topple and for him to be very near the top of it, if not the top of it. I think you are dealing with somebody who would who is quite capable, has got an ego to match quite capable of taking on Vladimir Putin. And I think this thing could have gone the whole way. 
So why did he turn on his longtime benefactor Vladimir Putin? Well, Prigozhin and the Wagner Group have been heavily involved in the war in Ukraine, particularly in the taking of the town of Bakhmut, and their ranks had been swelled by recruiting out of Russian prisons and sending a lot of those men into the meat grinder of the Eastern Front in Ukraine. He's been heavily critical of Russian army management in this video, asking where the F is the ammunition they need. У нас нехватка боеприпасов! 70%! Шайгу! Герасимов! Где боеприпасы? And it's thought that actually Putin quite liked this, having him stick it to army chiefs and the defense ministry to sow division and make sure no one was growing powerful enough to challenge him. A pretty Putin-style tactic. Prigozhin had particular ire for the head of the military, Valery Gerasimov, and the defense minister, Sergei Shoigu. Some allegations, for example, too, that Wagner were able to poach top military special forces operators, for example, with higher wages, things like that, building tension between the two. And Prigozhin had become more and more irate in his rants against the military, one recently with Graves in the background, where he called the leadership of the military scum and said they would eat the guts of the dead in hell. Now, in the plots and counterplots of Russian politics, this obviously wouldn't go unchallenged. Defence Minister Sergei Shoigu has to plan to diminish Prigozhin and announce that all volunteer formations or military groups like the Wagner Group would have to come under the control of the Russian military and had until July 1st to sign on to do this. Prigozhin, unsurprisingly, said no, taking particular issue with the fact that Shoigu has never seen military action and instead rose through the ranks politically and has been a key advisor in the Kremlin since 1991. No mean feat hanging on that long in Russian politics. So with Putin then backing Shoigu's plan, this is when some analysts believe the Wagner rebellion was born. Here's Ian Bond, director for foreign policy at the Center for European Reform. Suddenly, they um, arrived in a Russian city, Rostov, where there is a major military headquarters, um, and announced, in effect, that they wanted the defense minister and the chief of the general staff sacked, um, and um, then began a drive to Moscow, which is, uh, I don't know, 800 miles away or something like that. Um, and they got more than halfway there. Uh, before deciding apparently that they weren't going to take Moscow after all and turning around and going back. And now the head of the Wagner group, a man called Yevgeny Prigozhin, has gone into exile in Belarus. And everybody has sort of said, well, we'll, we'll forgive and forget and um, Wagner troops will not be punished for taking part in an armed rebellion. A strange settlement then seemingly brokered by the Belarusian leader Lukashenko. We're still not exactly sure why Prigozhin decided to turn back and not make the full march on Moscow. And even US security say, publicly at least, they're not 100% sure either. We don't know the parameters of this deal. We weren't a party to it. Uh, I'd point you to the parties to it to, to speak to the, the details of it. We just don't have visibility on that. The war itself. Do you have an assessment of just how much, to what extent, Wagner's forces have been diluted in Ukraine and what that might mean for the Ukrainian troops? Diluted with a D or diluted with a T? Just in terms of this, the size of the force in Ukraine now, as you know, as opposed to last oh, it'll be siphoned off. Yeah, it's unclear uh, right now. 
where the bulk of the Wagner forces are. I mean, we've seen some reporting, um, mostly through uh, press and social media, that uh, that many of them moved back across into Ukraine. Uh, but we're not in a position to verify or validate those reports. So it's, it's really unclear where they all are and where they all might go or what they might do in, in terms of the future. Um, un, it's in, in disputed, of, of course, undisputed, of course, that Wagner played a role, particularly in the fight for Bakhmut. Um, they were reinforced by Russian military forces, and that had uh, a major factor on their ability to, to take that town. Um, but as I have said, many, many times. I mean, Wagner's approach here was just to throw bodies at the fight. Largely ill-trained, ill-equipped, um, and poorly led, but just body after body after body. And they suffered a lot, tens of thousands of casualties just tra just taking back moot. Uh, all for a town, which I've also said, uh, didn't have any strategic value to the Russians one way or another. Prigozhin is now in exile in Minsk, and Wagner fighters who want to follow him can go. They've been pardoned. Others have been told they can fold into the Russian military in line with Shoigu's plan. Ukraine says it's the beginning of the end for Vladimir Putin, and he is certainly damaged by this. It's often been questioned how iron his fist ultimately is. And this is a huge challenge to his leadership. Military formations making their way on the capital, making a beeline for it, even if they turned around. And one you would suspect will cause Putin to crush down on any dissent, as all dictators do in the face of dissent. But you wonder, has this highlighted enough cracks there for someone to eventually step in? Like, I've wondered if this is Putin's war as opposed to Russia's war. And we don't know the minds of a lot of those, those key advisors, because if we did, they could well be shot. But you wonder if they were in place, if someone else was in place, could the war be brought to a negotiated end? Because at the moment, the only ending you could see beyond Ukraine actually giving up territory would be one in where Putin is replaced. Perhaps this brings us a little bit closer, probably a little bit early to say, but in the meantime, what of Progozin in exile, Ian Bond? Will he be allowed to live? The question is whether he will be allowed to um... If I were Mr. Prigozhin, I would be staying away from open windows and tasting my tea extremely carefully. Um, but I think uh, also um, we have to wonder what is going to happen to the Wagner Group and its forces. Uh, they're a bit less well financed now because um, one of the things that uh, Putin's forces were able to do on Saturday was to confiscate an enormous amount of cash. I mean, several tens of millions of pounds worth of, of cash or euros worth of cash um, from Wagner's headquarters in St. Petersburg. Um, but yeah, they operate in a number of African countries. Um, they are, as well as being a private military company, a, a kind of raw material extractive company, um, getting metals and uh, rare minerals from Africa and selling those on the world market and making a considerable profit from that. Um, so yeah, 25,000 heavily armed people. Um, I've no doubt that they will go back to the fight in Ukraine. But the question is, are the tensions between them and the defence ministry going to continue? And I think the answer to that is yes, they will. So to borrow a famous quote from another wartime leader, this is not the end. It's not even the beginning of the end. But it is perhaps the end of the beginning. But that is where we end this podcast. Sean Defoe presenting and producing today with Lachlan Hart on sound. I'll chat to you soon.